And I think the same can be said for podcasts as well. People underestimate how difficult it is to make a podcast, even the most basic podcast, how much time actually goes into it. And maybe if they knew what it took before they got into it, they probably wouldn't do it or wouldn't judge maybe as much. Podcast Junkies, episode 234. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new to the show, this is the one where we speak to interesting folks in the podcasting space, get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. Last week, we had a great conversation with Andy Foote, host of the Footnotes podcast. Andy is a LinkedIn specialist and an all-around jovial chap. (laughs) I only say that because of his English accent, but we had a really good conversation and learned a lot about how to use the LinkedIn platform effectively. Episode 233, in case you missed that, this week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jordan Gasparé. She's the host of Prognosis Daily, Coronavirus, and Sounds Like Hate, among other podcasts, which she produced. In this interview, she shares her experience as an investigative journalist and her fascination with audio as a medium and her early career aspirations. We talk about her favorite college radio story. Jordan and I actually met during the Outlier virtual festival probably about a month or two ago, and she was pitching a horror comedy podcast, and I was actually the judge on the panel, and we connected about the show she was working on, so we talk a little bit about that as well. We learned how she honed her skill of creating compelling audio content, and she shares some of the favorite stories she's heard through podcast producing and why people are just dying to tell their stories. We cover a couple of ongoing podcast projects, and she opens up what it's been like living in New York City during covid And finally, we talk about a little of the work she's doing with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Jordan has a lot of experience in the podcast producing world, and it's a very helpful episode for learning how to develop more compelling podcast content. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed past episodes and you haven't done it already, I'd love it if you leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. This episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. If you're looking for help as a business with your podcast, we offer done-for-you services, coaching and consulting with our done-with-you services. And now we also have the Ultimate Podcast Dojo available. It's a new course and community designed to help you start your own podcast. Additional details at fullcast.co forward slash dojo, D-O-J-O. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's get into this conversation with Jordan. Jordan Gasparé, podcast producer extraordinaire. Thank you again for sharing time with us on Podcast Junkies. Thanks for having me on. Talking about great equalizers before. Yeah, so I wasn't recording. And as most listeners will know, I love sharing all the foibles and faux pas of podcasting. So we started the conversation and and I'm staring at the button and the button says record. And I'm like... I think it should say something different than record. It should be like a counter. So thankfully, we hadn't gotten too far. So you were talking about Ever. We connected through Ever Outlier Virtual Festival. This idea of you reaching out to him and because that's what you do now. You just reach out to whoever you want to talk to. Exactly. I mean, and it really does. Now is the time. If you have someone that you really want to talk to, just reach out to them. Because I think the window is slowly closing, especially if you're a celebrity. Because that's getting back on, on track. So... 
There's only uh, so many TikTok videos J-Lo can do from her backyard. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The mix things up. And I think some people, regardless of your celebrity status or income, are so starved to talk to someone that's not living with them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so funny because everybody realized how not important celebrities were once COVID hit. <laughs> Just like, like, we do not give a shit about you and your beautiful mansion. And you're just like, you're, you're shooting videos from your home your swimming pool and i'm just like uh okay there's a little bit of a disconnect there <laughs> exactly and your cigars and like i remember that arnold schwarzenegger i think it was he was in like the hot tub or something with his giant cigar and i'm like i pity you not so yeah. what was the experience for you i mean if you just a quick recap we're recording this in august now so obviously big wave hit in march and it was interesting how many people were impacted and, and where people were at the time is interesting to get a snapshot of that. But just from a time capsule perspective for folks listening in the future, like, you know, what's what was your experience? So I think, and this is carried on until the present day, and I'm hoping that it'll end shortly. And I shouldn't be complaining about this, but how I guess I coped with everything is piling on as much work as humanly possible okay. and working, you know, 14 hour plus days and just going, going, going as a way to sort of not have to deal with what's going on, especially being, I live in Queens, you know, which was the epicenter of the epicenter at you know, one point in time. And yeah, and it's interesting because I'm from Texas originally, and now Texas is having problems and i get alerts from one of the local newspapers every day that's like x number of covid cases today x number of deaths and it's just been interesting because i don't feel like i've been able to to get over it i think as easily as as people maybe who just live in new york and don't have family in another hotbed so can you talk about work environments obviously everyone was forced to figure out how to make their bedroom a home studio <laughs> and people that had the luxury of going into recording spaces where it's a pristine recording environment and especially you know we'll talk a little bit about your background as well so what was the change like for you and how much of a shift was it from a recording and then and if you have like high standards in terms of quality like how do you manage all that in covid now when you have to make do with what you have I really should lower my standards. And you think at this point, <laughs> my standards would be low, but every time I get another file back and there's really bad AC noise or yeah. something, you know, I shouldn't be cursing because I do. And I'm like, oh, you kidding me that this is again? <laughs> and, and then I'm the one that's like, oh, I sound like a robot. And I'm like, oh God, but do you want to hear that whirring in the background? Yeah. It's insane. But yeah, I should lower my standards. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'll learn from all of this is to lower my standards. But like, not much has really changed for me. I mean, I would go into different studios on different projects, you know, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of schedule here in New York. Yeah. And then the rest of the time, it's just content being sent to me from folks doing their own recordings. But I have been doing more of my own recordings with different projects. And it really was just the blanket situation on the bed and the pillows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having to explain to people, like, it's fine to look ridiculous because the video is not being used. Did you actually record with the blanket on your head for like, and people were on video or? <laughs> Well, well, there was a, so I didn't do that. It, that was for my own segments with a, a podcast that I work on. But for other folks where we were using a platform, another platform to record, and their audio just kept coming back sounding just terrible. And I was like, how are you, explain to me how you're recording this. And they were telling me, and I'm like, everything sounds good. 
okay. And then it was like the AC or the water heater or some creaking noise. So I was like, just set up a pillow for it. And they're like, but I look ridiculous. I'm like, nobody cares what you look like. Yeah. Because it's audio. <laughs> okay. You know, but they care what you sound like. Or what's your earliest recollection of an interest in audio? Probably like a real interest was 2008 to date me. That's when I was a freshman in college. Okay. So like as ridiculous as it sounds, like I was not one to like, I didn't come from a family that listened to NPR. My family could probably <laughs> care less if NPR existed or not outside yeah. of me being associated with them. You know, we had like a AM station in my hometown that played old country music that I interned for when I was in high school. So I guess maybe that was probably the original, but college, man. I went to the college newspaper team and I went to the college radio team and I was like, college radio people are so much cooler. <laughs> like they were all tatted up with piercings and like smoking outside. And then the college newspaper folks for the most part were like really buttoned up. Uh, like, yeah. It was a big divide in how they looked. And So you wanted to just hang out the cool kids. It, well, pretty much, you know, and there was like a guy and I was like, he's cute. Uh, but yeah, so I ended up doing a little bit of both. But toward the end of my college time, it was obvious I was spending way more time in the studio. Yeah. And I enjoyed being in the studio more than I enjoyed being in the traditional newspaper newsroom. Did you get a tattoo as well? I did not. No, I did pick up a smoking habit, but not from them. But okay. no tattoos, no piercings. Okay. But I still stay in contact with quite a few of those folks. Yeah. Including my former advisor, who's still the advisor at the radio station. He's oh, wow. badass. He's all tatted <laughs> up to. He's a former DJ. And so you graduated from Texas State? Yeah, I graduated in Texas State University. And I go back, whenever I go to back to Texas to see my family, I'll go back to my college town because I still have, I mean, you'll go to like a local restaurant and see people that you went to school with or like randomly walking down the street because they never left. That's funny. You know, they tell you the gossip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The town gossip. Or and you see friends that you grew up with and have like five or six kids and huge families and stuff. And they're like, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Yeah. And then you, when you quickly realize how divergent your paths were, you try to find another topic to talk about. <laughs> exactly. And it's weird to think that even if you both like did the college radio thing and we were both passionate about journalism and passionate about audio and they tried it and they just, they're not in it anymore. They're in PR usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those folks. So what was the goal when you, when you graduated? What did you have your, your sights set on? Well, initially, I mean, had, I think, what a lot of people, at least at my college radio station had, which was, you know, that you would go either to one of the local, like if you were really into music, you'd go into like South by Southwest music, like helping the festival, or you'd go to like the local rock station. Yeah. Because my, you know, San Marcos, where Texas State is, is only like 45 minutes away from Austin. And like, that's a dream to live in the big city. So t talk a little bit about where you started at and what were some of the first stories you were working on? Yeah, so where I, where I started, like outside of the college radio yeah. bubble, yeah. which is so much cooler, though, I think those <laughs> stories than like the professional experience. Because <laughs> they just let you do whatever. We might have to come back and circle back to one of your favorite. Okay, let's pivot and kick it off with one of your favorite college radio station stories. So college radio and like what I still do, messaging people out of the blue and being like, let's collaborate. I got to cover South by Southwest film all four years of college. Okay, that's cool. So they gave me a press badge and at like 19, I was like, oh, I'm going to go meet everyone and it's going to be great. I ran into during South by film and during another festival, I covered all kinds of festivals. I was always out and about Yeah. without a license too. Without a driver's license, I took the bus 
I was terrified to drive. But anyway, I met Elijah Wood, the actor, yeah. who I, I creepily have a crush on. Like, I always, <laughs> I don't know, I, I thought he was very attractive. And I still yeah. do. In a week, yeah. But I met him. And we like, you know, it wasn't like, I mean, in my, my young eyes, I was like, oh my God, he's flirting with me, you know? But he was like, hey, you should come to this like after party for my movie. Wow. And so I didn't drive. And the woman I was with who drove me, who was my photographer, yeah. it was pretty much like, okay, come take photos. We'll give me ride exchange. Cool. She was like, I have to go back to San Marcos to be with my boyfriend. And I'll never forget being like, are you kidding me? You're passing up a Hollywood party? Like, could you, did you see that he put his arm on my shoulder? <laughs> did you see that connection? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was I it. Just, it's so funny. I just saw a, an Elijah Wood movie. It's about him in Oregon, and he goes to visit a, an estranged father. It is like oh, a... Oh, yeah, no, I the, saw that. The yes. horror movie. It's like a dark black comedy type thing. Yeah, I was watching with my girlfriend, and we, we saw the first couple of seconds of the preview and we're like okay let's watch it so we had no idea what was coming and then it was just like whoa that was a weird movie yeah do you remember the name of it was it? i'm looking for the name something of it daddy right because yeah. like you think that i mean i'm gonna i don't want to give a spoiler away but yeah about his father yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's really good i ha- highly recommend it's a, it's definitely surprising you know, a couple of twists and so it was one of those things when you watch it and you're just like you're entertained and, and surprised that it turned out to be a, a good movie so it's a, it's a little bizarre but <laughs> Elijah Wood has the best haircut and mustache. Oh, that was ter- that was terrifying. <laughs> he didn't look like that when I yeah. saw. He was very clean cut and about yeah, yeah. my height, which was kind of odd. We could wear the same clothes. <laughs> Are you over your Elijah Wood crush? Uh, I mean, I think now he's a father, so I think now that automatically I'm like I'm over. Yeah, yeah. I'm over the crush, but he seems like a very cool dude. And the interview, yeah, like he seemed very nice. Come to and- daddy. Come to death. Yeah. So yeah, that's my one story that I'm like, I regret that damn college radio. I had the interview on my, <laughs> my first podcast about Texas film. Yeah. That like, you know, my, my glory days in podcasting when I was 18, 19. Were you a, a podcaster in college? Yeah. I mean, one of the, the beautiful things, again, college radio, they're like, do whatever you want. That's not violating FCC. Okay. And I was like, so I'm going to make this Texas film podcast to go talk to cool independent filmmakers. You know, with the host, maybe they pick up my screenplay, but that never happened. But, you know. Are you still yeah. shopping that? <laughs> no, but it, I'm not shopping it. But it is somewhere on some hard drive that I wrote in college. And who knows? Yeah. You know, one day. This is going to be like the total like rambling, like random thought to random random thought episode of like, what's what's is there a common thread here that you guys are are, are you getting somewhere? What's the premise of the screenplay? It's so bad. It's not worth talking about. (laughs) Summarize it in 10 words or less. 20-something woman goes back to her hometown after the death of the family matriarch. It takes place over the course of a weekend. Okay. Some shit goes down. (laughs) I think everyone feels like when they they see a decent movie or or they want... I don't think that people underestimate how hard it is to write a good screenplay. And how hard it is to like tell a story that keeps people engaged. Because when I watch some of them sometimes, I'm like, the fact that they were able to build a thread, a character development, carry it throughout the movie, keep you engaged, keep you interested, keep you interested in the characters. The dialogue is is really punchy. It's witty. And there's like so many like millions of moving parts that go to, into a really good movie. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated when people can actually pull it together into something that's 
mildly interesting. <laughs> I agree. And I think the same can be said for podcasts as well. People underestimate how difficult it is to make a podcast, even the most basic podcast, how much time actually goes into it. And maybe if they knew what it took before they got into it, they probably wouldn't do it or wouldn't judge maybe as much. Yeah. Um, so after the the cool jobs in college, interviewing and hanging out with famous celebrities, it was all downhill from there. Because it was totally started- <laughs> all downhill from there. I got older. Yes, you know, it was a lot more serious. No more celebrities hitting on me. Like, what is going on? <laughs> it'll it'll come around full circle again. You just have to find the right podcast project. You get podcasters hitting on you, which is not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the Elijah Wood of podcasting? I don't. <laughs> Elijah I don't Wood. Know. Elijah Wood. Oh God, does he have a podcast? I don't know. Have a podcast? Everybody probably does that. Has a, there's no celebrity that doesn't have a podcast now. No, that's why I don't even like looking at Apple Podcasts, like the recommendations or like the new shows, because it's just always some celebrity. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't. I didn't like your TV show. Why? <laughs> Who's doing work now that you admire, that you respect, or that you not that you'd want to emulate, but that you it's a style that you're drawn to. I think that's a tough question because for me now, and I mean, how, how we originally met, you know, with the, the horror show, comedy show that I was wanting to do. And I've yeah. been thinking a lot in the last you know couple of months about who is talking about horror and who, who is in that wheelhouse. And I just still have not found anyone that is breaking the let's talk about a movie and have a conversation about a movie mold. And I mean, if anybody knows of any other horror podcasts I should be listening to that kind of break that mold, please let me know. I'm interested. So, so actually for the benefit of the listener, can you talk a little bit about the premise? Cause in, during the outlier festival, there was a, a portion where we had some podcasters come on and I was, I guess I was a celebrity judge. I don't know what the, I'm the, the Simon Cowell of podcasting now. I mean, so, you do have your quote on the Squadcast page. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was cool to see a whole bunch of different premises for podcasting. So for those who that weren't in attendance, talk about the, the show you were pitching. Yeah, the show is pitching is a horror comedy podcast that is is an interview style. However, it kind of spins it on its head a little bit to make the genre more accessible and to tie it to everyday events. So uh, I have an episode that I did with one of my, see, going back to the film thing from college, there really is like a book in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and talking about celebrities who may just want to talk to people that are not their children. I interviewed the writer and director of one of my favorite movies called Tales from the Hood. And really emphasizing the fact that it's still culturally relevant after 25 years. I mean, there's talks about police brutality in 1995 when the movie came out. You know, it talks about domestic violence. You know, all these different themes, racist politicians. But it's still very relevant today. Unfortunately, still re- really relevant today, yeah. You know, and that, which is why there's a third movie coming out. He's still making the movies. But yeah, that was a great conversation. And it was more like, you know... One of my, my friends, of course, you know, you get as a podcaster, I'm sure you do this too, where like you have your friends listen to rough cuts before any you, you publish them or anyone else listens. Yeah. And I, I mean, my poor friends, they've had to listen. Just listen. Who knows how much they actually listen of the show? But one of my friends was like, you know what you're going for? You're going for like a Rod Serling meets Tina Fey style. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to use that. Put that in the podcast review on Apple. Yeah, you know? that's funny. 
But you know, yeah, it's just more like wanting to have horror be more of like an academic study, something that's that can be as culturally relevant that is taken more seriously than like your slasher movie you're talking about, The Exorcist for the umpteenth time. Yeah. I've listened to a couple of these the these horror horror interview podcasts and they're great. It's two different people. Usually like one really loves horror, one doesn't love horror, and they watch Jaws or The Exorcist and are like talking about their reactions. Like there's a place for that. Yeah. There's a lot of those. Did you decide on a name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called Pod of Madness. There's a website. It's all over the place now. I wouldn't recommend doing interviews through Zoom. <laughs> the audio quality, I was like... Squadcast for the win. Yeah, I think I just saw an interesting movie. It's not horror. It's actually more sci-fi. Uh, Vast of Night. Have you seen oh, I've that? heard good things about that. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. so good. It's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. I think like an indie, but executive produced by one guy who funded the whole thing. And the, like, the camera work is phenomenal. It sort of reminds me of that, that movie 8mm, the J.J. Mm. Abrams movie. So that kind of vibe, and it's set in a, a town in like Midwest town in like the 50s or 60s or something like that, 50s or something like that. So has that old-timey feel, but it's still sci-fi, and they do a lot where they kind of give you that. They're building up an anticipation, so it's not one of those where they're showing you like, you know, the best horror movies are the ones where you don't see the monster. Exactly. Yeah, so that's the kind of vibe. So, so yeah. they don't show the alien? Can't spoil it because it's such a beautiful movie. It's actually a beautiful movie. And I watched it twice already. And it's quickly like one of my favorites of 2020. Yeah, that's good. Good. So yeah, so you, that's the project you're working on now. So where did your aesthetic for how to create compelling audio content, like probably didn't happen in one place. But how did you start to realize that that's something you like or you take pride in? Not to say I live in the past nostalgia. I did just turn 30. So maybe yeah. it's a lot of like reflection on my 20s. Like, oh my God, what happened? There was a, a coffee shop in my college town that I pretty much lived at. I spent more time in that place. I knew the owners. They would give me <laughs> rides. You know, I saw the owner from when she got pregnant to the birth to now wow. the kid is like 10 years old. And, you know, one of those places, like yeah. the cheers of my of my 20s. Central Perk. Exactly. <laughs> You know, I, th I think we were a little, it's a way quirkier. There are a lot of tattoos again. You got yeah, the baristas. Okay. I picked up a lot of my music tastes from those baristas there. But sitting there all day, you'd have the like townies and the random people coming in and out. And my little table in the back was by the bathroom. So people would see you, you have an empty chair in front of you. And often, I'm not joking, just sit down and strike up a conversation with you while you're at your laptop trying to work. Like sit in your chair? So I would be sitting on one side and oh, the okay, others, okay. they wouldn't sit on me. I would have probably Is this seat cops. taken? Um, they wouldn't even ask. It would mainly be like, did you sit down? Like maybe they're waiting for the bathroom or they just think they can just sit there because they, they're from that town. I don't know. Is that like a Texas howdy neighbor thing? Or? I know. I think that's just the clientele at the coffee shop. Okay. But it was a lot of, you know, and at the time I was still doing journalism and I was freelancing and whatever. And people tend to know, you know, they were like, oh, you're the journalist too, like whatever. They would just sit down and I would strike up conversations with them. And the stories, it was just so random. I mean, I got a lot of content for various projects I was working on from just talking to customers at this local coffee shop. And that really is sort of like, the way that I approach interviews is very much based still to this day on the conversations I had with people at that coffee shop. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Movement. 
This year's conference is virtual and will be held from October 19th through the 29th. Find out more at virtual.podcastmovement.com. This year, the world's largest conference for podcasters becomes the world's largest virtual online event in podcast history this October 19th through the 29th. There are four main event days spread across two weeks with optional workshops each day in between. Join thousands of podcasters from around the world for over 100 live interactive breakout sessions and workshops. Topics and tracks focused on everything from creating your show to monetizing your podcasts and will appeal to podcasters of all skill levels from brand new to experts. Over 150 virtual exhibitors will be there live to demo their latest podcasting gear, equipment, and services. Podcast Movement invested months into researching the virtual event platforms and has selected one that they feel is the best out there and can't wait for everyone to join them on it this October. Podcast Movement Virtual takes place October 19th through the 29th and tickets start at $119. Visit virtual.podcastmovement.com and if you sign up, use the code PODCASTJUNKIES for the biggest discount that you'll find anywhere. And remember, this discount ends soon. Once again, virtual.podcastmovement.com. The conference holds a special place in my heart since it's the very first podcasting conference I intended as a podcaster. And with the exception of the LA event, I've been to every single podcast movement. So excited to see what the team's putting together for October. The sort of idea that I have about about interviewing and, and journalism is very much based in the folks that I've encountered at this coffee shop. And it, it's a strange strange thing you know like letting them just tell their story yeah, yeah yeah, and interjecting here and again but like just letting them say whatever they would like to say is that something that you realized early on because you know because this is something like early, new podcasters struggle with because they just want to fill the space they want to fill the dead air they're just like god forbid they don't have the next question ready and they start freaking out and every new podcaster goes through this i mean i know in the beginning i had my set of questions and i'm just like okay i asked all the questions and this 15 minutes are done i got another 45 minutes <laughs> just to go to my goodness <laughs> so is that something that you realize early on that if you most people i've said this before if you go to any room any bar if you ask the right questions to every single person in the room, you'll get a story out of them. And I think it's just a matter of being a good listener and, and follow up. I agree. I mean, I think that since I, you know, had wanted to do journalism since I was around like eight years old, like a child, though I was, you know, taught and in high school journalism, like you're taught to have your set of questions and you're taught to not stray away from those questions and to do the research and don't let people babble. yeah. You know, you don't have the time to let people babble. And so that was a big shift for me is, you know, you don't have to be so serious either. But there's a difference between people babbling and people struggling or trying to formulate the story they want to tell. And they don't may not have ever been given the opportunity or when they start, quote unquote, babbling, people cut them off and be like, oh, you're not making any sense. So there's a weird thing that needs to happen where you can encourage them to say, I think there's a story there. And, and obviously the magic of post-production, you can, you know, fix that up any any way you want. But I think I think people are I think people are dying to tell their stories. I agree. I mean that's what I found out at Joe and the Go in San Marcus, Texas is so many people yeah, are dying to tell their story and they they just were waiting around for the opportunity to sit down in front of a stranger. Did you find that people are sometimes more open to 
to share stories with a stranger as opposed to someone they're close to just because you know, maybe they, they feel like they're not going to be judged? Oh, I think so. And I think like it was I'm a stranger in that in that coffee shop context, but I'm also not because they've seen my face for months. It's like the weird idea of like, I know you, but I don't know you because I know that you get a latte every day and you go and sit for hours in that corner booth and you have stickers on your laptop to tell me <laughs> something about you, you know, and like strange people come in and like give you rides. But, you know, like, so they, they, you know, maybe they thought they knew me or had some familiarity. So they felt comfortable. What are the stickers on your laptop? Oh, it varied. I mean, I always have random ass stickers covering my laptop all the time, you know, so. Do you have any on your, st- on your laptop currently? Yeah, but this laptop's not mine, so it doesn't okay. count. <laughs> However, on my old laptop, the last one that was mine, I have this werewolf sticker. It's a werewolf riding a bicycle. So it's cool. <laughs> no significance at all? Just a werewolf riding a bicycle? <laughs> one of my favorite horror movies is an American werewolf in London. Oh, okay. So that's why I got the werewolf riding a bicycle. That movie scared the shit out of me. Like that was one of those movies when you watch early on, because the guy who did the special effects is the same guy who did Thriller Video. Yes. John, is, and so the makeup on that, that is a scary movie. That's not a movie that a kid should be watching. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. That movie will scare the shit out of you. I also saw Alien, the first one. That one scared me too. The scene where it comes out of his stomach. Yeah. So that was 79. So I'm I'm actually 50, uh, 49. So... I was like, probably, and it was on TV, so it was out of the theater, so it was probably early 80s, so it was probably like 10, 11, 12, and I remember watching it in this this room where my aunt had her TV, and there was an adult party going on, and I'm just sitting there by myself in this room, watching Alien on like a, a small TV, it was just, and it was really dark, and the movie itself is very creepy, but full circle, I had the ability when I lived in LA to interview Ronald Chusset, who's the co-writer and co-creator of Alien. That's cool. And he tells the story of, he dreamed up the scene. They were trying to figure out how to get the alien from the planet to the ship, and they couldn't figure out like the storyline. And so he said he had a dream where it's like, oh, like the alien goes inside the guy's stomach, and then the stomach bursts, and it was all like a, he had, so he comes running back to his partner. He's like, I got it. I figured it out. And... It's funny to hear him tell the story, but uh, yeah, he was, he's a character. It's called an alien in Hollywood. So yeah, so people started getting comfortable with you and telling you stories. Any specific stories stand out? Well, there was one gentleman that I, I guess it was, uh, we had multiple conversations and the reason I remember his stories, his name is Steve. I don't know if he's still alive or not. I, I'm not certain what happened to Steve, but yeah. he was a former pool shark. Okay. And he had also spent a lot of time in Las Vegas gambling, and his stories were hilarious. He wrote and self-published a book that may I may or may not still have in my home, my childhood home, but he was called Steve the Snake. <laughs> And he just told the most ridiculous stories about like the ex-wives, like what you would expect from like a pool shark, you know, and and going on the tournament and then ending up super broke, which brought him to San Marcos, Texas. And uh, he would wear these like Tommy Bahama type shirts, (laughs) like the Hawaiian shirts, and his flip flops, like, you know, he was ready to go to the beach. There's no beach. Jimmy Buffett style. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the characters like that. And there were a lot of old hippies in the town and i mean the baristas had their own stories and one of the baristas actually it was it was a guy we got to be really good friends and he died while i i was in college 
And so that was a whole, a whole thing, you know, and like very much like the first experience I had as a 20 something being like, wow, I can die in my twenties. Like, wait, wait, I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> I mean, I did, but I didn't know. Yeah. Facing possible. your own mortality is, is a little weird when that first happens. Yeah. So those kinds of stories, like the people that you remember who, you know, I mean, he wasn't the only one, unfortunately, that died while I was, I mean, I, it, it wasn't me. People are going to start to think, this is, this, this is where the podcast turns into a horror movie. And it's like, the podcaster did it. It wasn't me. Unfortunately, you know, 20-somethings often don't make the best decisions uh, 100% of the time. And that could end to your, you know, it end things. Yeah. So fast forward now to present time. Talk a little bit about, about the projects you're working on now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm been a freelancer. It'll be going on full time a year. Okay. I'm like the middle of September, which is weird because it does not feel like a year. It feels like two months. So it's gone by. <laughs> but also an eternity too. Uh, but yeah, I'm working with Bloomberg still on a daily coronavirus podcast because believe it or not, you know, we're not over COVID-19. So the podcast continues. Yeah. That's a daily show. I'm also working with the Southern Poverty Law Center on a podcast called Sounds Like Hate, which is talking about hate groups in the U.S. and how people are working on disengaging from a life of hate. So that's been wow. fascinating. Working on all these different projects, too. It's like every day you're splitting your time and it's a different topic. Like, okay, you got COVID brain right here. Then yeah. you got the hate groups here. And then you're talking about horror down here and then you're doing like a entrepreneur podcast over here and you know and then it's like local news yeah there's just a lot going on to keep straight how has the story or the narrative changed for you guys at bloomberg from talk about like the idea were you on board from day one when they started to the, the idea came up that they wanted to do that show yeah, so I originally got hired to work on another podcast about the gender pay gap. So that that was, you know, I went to the office twice, got my badge, got to look around. Yeah. And we were all on our planning meeting for that podcast, getting audio together. And then it was, oh, they're closing the office. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. And they were like, do you want to stay on instead of, you know, I guess, telling me there's no work? They were like, do you want to stay on and help us with this show? And and so, yeah, I was on board from, from day one. Uh, I wasn't obviously part of like the conversation about whether or not we should have a daily coronavirus podcast. It was, yeah. we need another producer. So yeah, I've been with them since that show started and it was like five days a week and now it's been whittled down a little bit because the news cycle is slowly changed. I think, you know, people have some fatigue as well. A little corona fatigue, maybe? A little. <laughs> is this the Bloomberg office, like 53rd and 3rd? Is that uh, Lexington? 57th and Lex, yeah. Yeah. I used to work at E-Trade at 57th and Lex, and I and I think that Bloomberg building went up, I think, when I was working there. And I remember it was like a block or two away. It's a beautiful building. It's, a, it's really nice. It's a beautiful, empty building right now. <laughs> I wonder what happened to the koi fish, because they have a koi pond in there. <laughs> Poor koi fish. I saw them once, and I was like, there's a koi pond. This is the digression episode. What's go the story with New York City? Because, I mean, I have a special place in New York City. I've lived in there a couple different times, like Upper East Side, Lower East Side. I lived in Greenpoint. I just love the energy of it. But I think from everything I've seen and that someone, Malcolm Gladwell or someone or someone wrote about the death of New York City. But apparently it's like like some 
sketchy times going on there and, and people are leaving in droves. And obviously they're talking about all the rich people with houses elsewhere who can leave. But I'm like, there's a lot of people that live in New York that actually are going to stay. So <laughs> I'm wondering what it's like for you on the ground, uh, what the experience has been. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't know anyone that has left New York City or has any plans to leave New York City, but obviously that's for a variety of reasons. It's either, I guess, maybe move to their back to their parents' house or stay in New York yeah. and they're going to stay in New York uh, instead of doing that. But I've seen like it get back more into the groove of what it was before the pandemic, meaning that because of the outdoor seating, like I've seen restaurants that normally would have no one or very little people on a Friday night yeah. now have not only more room outside than they ever did inside, yeah. but like now they're packed because people are staying closer to home to eat than, you know, than they used to. I mean, even for me, I've been to more of the local restaurants in my yeah. neighborhood than usually I would just go out to Greenpoint or Williamsburg because I can walk over there. Like I don't see a death of of the city. I think what's happening, and the the restaurant thing is fascinating because it's almost like it's harkens back to like European style. Like I've seen like they've closed off half the street, and and now they're fighting to to keep it that way. A lot of the people are just like, hey, this is beautiful. Like, why do we need to go back? And it's in a weird way, I think this idea of community living in new york city which no one thought was possible because the, the rents are ridiculous i think some more we're going to start to see more of that is my guess new york is going to go through a transition and new york city specifically manhattan like people are not coming back to work in the, these high-rise buildings and, and you know there's they're saying some of these buildings have like ten thousand people in them and now they have like 600 i think there was the time life building or one of those buildings and it was just because i don't see how employees are going to feel comfortable going back companies have decided okay, we just did the, we were forced to do this remote working test and we can have a thousand people working remotely and we don't have to pay anywhere from 10000 to $100,000 rents or whatever it is that people are paying in New York City nowadays. So I was talking to the team from Chartable and they've had, they had an office in New York City and they don't need that office anymore. <laughs> so it's been interesting. To, it's going to be interesting to see what happens like on a social experiment level and what that's going to mean for what you know New York City looks like. It's not like we don't, we uh, i don't live there anymore but it's not like that space can't be used for like housing you know we kind of need that <laughs> and we're gonna need it even more after the pandemic yeah i mean i think this is this is also a really good opportunity to uh, I mean to push my love of local news and local podcasting this is a great opportunity for people to start covering their own backyards as well yeah yeah because i really do think like what we just described or what you just described has not really been been the narrative in national publications. It is more like the death of New York City. Yeah, but yeah. There's actually some positives and some like some really nice nice responses to to the pandemic. And so yeah, I mean I think this is a really good time for people if you've always wanted to to cover your neighborhood and to talk to your neighbors. Say that you have a podcast. Create a podcast. What are you waiting for? Oh, I, I, I'm not <laughs> waiting for anything. I, Get on it. That's a, that's that's your next. Pro you need another project, right? Oh, I don't need another project. <laughs> but somebody else, somebody, you know, cover cover your own backyard. And that's not just New York City. Yeah, yeah of course. Well, it's interesting because uh, I'm I'm kind of bummed they canceled Hassan Minaj's Patriot Act show on. Oh, Netflix. they canceled it. It was yeah. It was so Why? good. It was. 
because they're stupid. I don't know. Like, they I mean, seem expensive to make. No, like, he was literally doing at home the, the last couple episodes, and it was so topical and relevant. And he was covering some of these topics that you were just watching, and be like, oh wait, the tax. You know, he was covering TurboTax or something like that one episode, and it was just like, wait, what happens here? And then he's covering like endowments, universities, and and he was the cruise just, ships. The cruise That's how I found out about how like how they pollute. I watched it. I was like, oh my god! Every time I would watch an episode, I'd be laughing, and at the same time, it, I'd be like pulling my hair out. Like, there's no way that this can be happening right now. So that's a shame so yeah i think there's more opportunities to tell those those types of stories i think but one of them was the the death of local news and because all these conglomerates are buying out they're getting owned by these bigger companies like there's no more news that's telling the stories of stuff that's happening on the ground that people are sort of getting away with now because there's no no on the beat journalist that's going to like trail someone around town just be like getting the story and and you know just stuff like that that doesn't happen anymore so Exactly. And I mean, that's why I really hope, too, that podcasting does not go the way that newspapers went, meaning that larger companies buying smaller houses and shows and having the top only, you know, three companies owning and being gatekeepers. But I think the distribution is so spread out now that people can promote their stuff, anything from their own website to, you know, Twitter to a Substack newsletter to like literally anything medium, like it's so spread out and in democratized in a way, obviously, you know, if, unless you're trying to get tens of thousands, a hundred thousand listeners, but you don't need a lot. And Libsyn routinely publishes that stat that if you're getting 120 downloads in the first 30 days, an episode goes live, you're doing better than 50% of all shows. So that's crazy. And it's so, so that's why I think it's kind of like that long tail of like, I tell clients all the time, just, you know, be as niche as possible. Because if you are, if you think you're niche, like go one level niche, more niche and like, you know, I remember some of these early shows I heard about, like the Welders podcast, like welders have a lot of free time on their hands. So they're just sitting there like, so the, the coroner's coroner cast or coroner's podcast, it was like a podcast for coroners. I'm like, these are awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, for anyone who has, who thinks it's still too late, I was just on an interview earlier that I thought when I started my show in 2014, it was late, but now it's just like, there's still opportunities, I think. And if it's a decent quality show and you take pride in your, in the content and the quality, you're going to find a, a little bit of a listenership. And I think that's enough. No, that's good advice. Now you made me think like, I, you should even go niche now. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> okay. Only like one sub subgroup of the horror genre. There's podcasts about specific artists. I think there's a Jean-Claude Van Damme podcast or one of, there's something about a specific, or Steven Seagal. There's like a podcast just about the one actor's movies or something like that. So you could do the Elijah Wood podcast. <laughs> Fan. Hey, he has a horror production <laughs> company too. Like he is. Uh, the, uh, oh, so he probably produced that movie. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, Spectre Vision, I think, is the company's. Okay, so this is the worst segue ever. Speaking of the horrors of horror movies into the horrors of poverty, I talk about your work <laughs> at the Southern Poverty Law Center. I warned you that was going to be a, a horrible it's segue. Okay. The horrors of hate groups. It's all horrific. To, what, did, uh, were you around for the beginning of that as well, the start of that? No. So, yeah, I, I came on board only about like a month and a half ago. But I, so I've been aware of the podcast. It's been a long time coming. It's with two really amazing journalists. They come from broadcast and film. They're documentarians. 
and that I, I stumbled across one of their names and this project in January. So before the pandemic, and we, we hit it off, but I was going to go visit family in Spain when they like wanted me to like do an assignment, you know, do anyway, timetables did not match up. And then they reached out to me again. And I was like, yeah, I have some time. And I, I was very passionate about the, the cause and their mission for, for this podcast. And so, yeah, it's been very interesting because this is something that I have a little background on, like covering, covering yeah. some of these groups, but that's not my wheelhouse in particular. We all know death is my wheelhouse. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's your new show. Death is my wheelhouse. What is just one story from the, that you either worked on that you were surprised about that, you know, as, as much as we know a lot that there's hate going on, that's still a topic that's front and center. And especially if you watch any sort of keep track of any of the conversations that are happening on Twitter, you can see it's, we're not far removed from this fracturing of splinters of divisions of this country so what's something that that stood out for you as as you were doing research into the show i think one of the things that stood out to me is that shouldn't have come as a surprise but i have become more aware or or just aware of different websites like there's a website called ifunny i had never even heard of this website before when i looked it up and when i actually went on it it all seems to be you know fine and then you go in deeper and you're like, it's not fine. And you listen to, you know, recordings or you're, you're doing more research on these groups and people keep referencing yeah. that website. And it's just like some of these more like more like innocuous, you know, even like YouTube. We yeah. had a couple of experts being like, it's not like they're going on the dark web in quotes. You know, they're on YouTube. They're on these platforms. They just know and are more sophisticated enough now to have their own language. So it gets around censors. So like there's interesting words they're saying. And I'm like, this is stupid. What does this even mean? Like, because they're not using the They have the to use code language. words. Yeah. It's just really, that, that fascinated Wild me. Wild and, and disturbing, yeah. 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 It's, have you heard, uh, listen to Rabbit Hole? I haven't. No, but oh I, God, one of my so friends. Good. Yeah, New York Times, right? Yeah, they're- yeah, yeah, so good. That's really good. Yeah, it describes like the algorithm, like basically YouTube. Once you have the watch, they've changed it since I think. But once you watch the one video, it'll say if you like this, then you like this, and it just takes you down this rabbit hole of like shit that you're like QAnon and all these like conspiracy things, and it's really really fascinating. But. I need to make sure always use incognito mode because I have made that mistake. Where I'm looking at something, I'm like, oh shit. No, now it's going to think and the FBI is going to come and knock on the door. I got to tell them, no, my dad's Hispanic. Like, I'm not part of a white supremacist. I think I have my, some of my uh, ancestors. I think my dad's grandfather, great grandfather was probably from Spain because I was born in El Salvador and then I went back. Oh, you were born I, in El Salvador. I was born in El Salvador, but I don't look like Salvadorians because they're just like shorter. They have like straight hair, very mestizo looking. And I went there and it was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. You know, you're supposed to feel like motherland. You're back. You're like, oh my god, I'm the motherland. And I'm I just look like, like everyone. It's finally where I belong. Yeah, I'm just like, nope. I'm like definitely a third world country. You know, AK-47s at the gas station. You know, from the military and some guy following us up on the hiking path with a machete in his hand and just like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, I'm ready to go back home. So, have you been to Spain? Yeah, I've been to Spain. Because you, you, yeah, I will just say, like, you do look like maybe yeah. there's features that are very. I, yeah, I feel like a, a pole there. So I think if you look at our family name, Duran is actually Spaniard. So that's another podcast. Maybe I'll just do a podcast about 
tracing my roots or something like that. Hey, you should. I was even thinking if at one point in time I ever can like take a year off, yeah. my ancestors, well, I shouldn't even say ancestors because the Spanish Civil War really was not that long ago. <laughs> but no, I found out recently that um, my grandmother's brother, he died during the war when he was 16. I always thought he was fighting against Franco, the dictator, yeah. former dictator of Spain. No, he was fighting for my family is it's very, to this day, fascist sentiments. So I was like, <laughs> I want to do a whole thing on my family's history during the war. That's funny. Leading up to the present day. And like how, you know, uh, I guess so, yeah. Fascism, hate groups, uh, my interests, you know. <laughs> it's all just death, really, though. Like I like how you should just put that things I'm interested in, you know, hobbies include <laughs> fascism, <laughs> horror, hate crimes, dark web. Elijah Wood. Dark Web scares me. I'm not. No. There's a if you put all the Venn, the Venn diagrams, if you put them all together. I, yeah. I sound like a real happy person. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. So Jordan, as we try to bring this to a landing somehow, a couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Definitely not death. I think something I changed my my mind recently is that thirty is not old. Yeah, and neither is fifty, for the record. <laughs> I did have some middle schoolers because I, I, I am a mentor and I was interviewing prospective mentees through a program called Girls Right Now. And this one mentee was like, one of my favorite shows is this like Korean drama and this character is really old or 30. And I just started laughing during the interview and I was like, you know, I just turned 30. She was, no, I thought you were 23. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since we're just all over the place speaking of Korean dramas, have you seen Parasite? I have not yet because I've been waiting because I know the movie is going to yes. elicit feelings that I don't know if I'm ready to. Very good. So you gotta, you gotta, you've already got a list of stuff to watch. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? That I'm not a dark person. <laughs> Happy go lucky. I have a horse on my cardigan. Okay. okay. There's and there's a cowboy on the back. Anyway. Well, that's a Texas thing. I was in Austin with my girlfriend and we were at a bar. And a guy, you, people think it thinks it's a joke, but a guy literally rode up on a horse, and Wait, he just kind of. What bar is this? <laughs> it was in Austin somewhere, like downtown or uptown. I don't know one of those towns. Oh my god! But he just literally pulled up to the bar and he just got off his horse and then went inside. And he wasn't like classic cowboy because he ordered a Red Bull. So <laughs> he's just sitting there drinking a Red Bull on the rocks, and we're coming over and we're just petting his horse. And then he's like, "Okay, I'm done now." Get gets back on the horse and just gallops off into the sunset. So, yep. We're in Texas now. Welcome. Welcome to Texas. Thank you, Jordan. I'm glad we were able to finally get this going. And, and it, given the fits and starts, including a session where you were actually on Squadcast and watching me talk to my girlfriend and I was on mute. And you, That's who you were talking they, I just heard Scotland. <laughs> her ex is from Scotland. Or you know, I had mentioned something about that anyway it was funny because i was wondering i was like what did i say i was like did i say something inappropriate because i had it on mute and it was on a different browser tab and then i just i saw the red light and i was like oh shit and then i, I came back and you're just sitting on the screen and it's on mute and you're just laughing and uh, i was like we're gonna have to reschedule <laughs> so that's the behind the scenes of the life of podcasting. So if you enjoyed this conversation and you want to engage with Jordan further, what's the best place for folks to track you down? I would say the best place is Twitter, but may maybe not. But I, I mean, I keep it simple. Everything of mine, if you, I guess, ever want to find me, it's always at J-G-A-S-S-P-O-O-R-E, at J-G-A-S-P-O-O-R-E, with no hyphen. 
Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. I and no um apostrophe, apostrophe, I don't know. J guess poor all over the internet. All over the place. <laughs> yeah. Well over. thank you again. This was entertaining, wide ranging, and a bit all over the place, which is the best best podcast episode sometimes. That's what I like. So thanks again to Jordan for coming on the show. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 234. Once again, if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. Special thanks to our sponsor. Podcast Movement Virtual takes place October 19th through the 29th. Visit virtual.podcastmovement.com. And if you sign up, use the code podcastjunkies for the biggest discount that you'll find anywhere. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check out his full line of music at cedarsoil.com. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. If your company would like to understand how a podcast can help you build your brand, sign up for a free consultation call at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. Tune in next week for my conversation with Brad Hart, host of the Make More Marbles podcast. If you made it this far, you're waiting for the retention hashtag, no doubt. For this episode, let's go with journalist Jordan. One word, journalist Jordan, and you can tag her at J Gaspare. That's J G A S S P O O R E, and myself at podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you again next week.